If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. I do want to welcome all of you here in our celebration service, those across the way at our summit service, all those watching from home today. I hope you have a, uh, an anxiousness and an enthusiasm uh, as we search out God's word this morning in 1 Samuel 8. I want to begin with just a personal note of, of thankfulness. As uh, many of you know, my mom passed away last Sunday evening, and uh, you as a church have just shown the love of Christ to me and my family in tremendous ways, and it's just been encouraging. I uh, shared with somebody yesterday that you really don't understand the value of love until uh, you need that until you need to hear that and you need to be prayed for and encouraged. And I know that so many people have been praying for us. So many of you reached out on social media, on texts. I think there's still a bunch of texts I haven't returned, but I will. Uh, hundreds of people have reached out. As I've walked around this morning and just greeted people, uh, you have uh, had so many kind words and I, uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Well, our focus today, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and before we read the passage of Scripture that we will study this morning, I, I wonder if you and I share a common frustration. Uh, I wonder if you ever want what's wrong. Is that true of you? I wonder if you have a strong desire at times for things that you know are not good things to desire. If I'm just honest with you this morning, I would have to say that that's true of me. There are times when I desire things that are unhealthy. There are times when I desire things that are harmful to myself or to other people. And there are times when I desire things that are just outright sinful. I wonder if you share this frustration with me that there are times when you want what's wrong. And when I read, especially in the book of Philippians, when I read God's word, it reminds me just how broken my desires sometimes are. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3.8. He said, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. And when I read that, and there's more there in Philippians 3 that we could read that say the same things, I recognize that I don't have the same heart that Paul has, at least at times and at least on this subject I recognize that Paul, the Apostle Paul, that his greatest desire was to know the Lord more. But I know that my desires are more often mundane, that my desires are more worldly, that my desires are more me-centered, that my desires are sometimes for outright sin. I think about the psalmist in Psalm 73 when he said, I desire nothing on earth but the Lord. I'm not sure I can say that very often. 
Uh, I think I'm more likely to fall into the category of Proverbs 11:6. The treacherous are trapped by their own desires. Uh, or I think about how Jesus described those whose faith was fruitless. He said in Mark 4:19, the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things choke the word of God in our lives and it becomes unfruitful. So why do we sometimes want what's wrong? How, how could our very desires be corrupt? Well, I think this is an important question because it strikes at the root of why we struggle with things. It strikes at the root of why we face problems. It strikes at the root of why we're guilty of sins. You know, too often I think we just focus on our behaviors or our actions, the things that we do. And we think that that's our primary problem. And so we end up just trying harder to do better. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to do some more of this because we think that our problem lies in our actions. But the Bible says that our actions are simply the product of our desires. The problem is not so much what I do. The problem lies in the desires that I have that lead me to do what I do. Bible says in James 1:14, each person is tempted when he is enticed by his own desires. It starts with the desire. In order to get rid of the weeds in your yard, you can't just mow your grass. You know that? I mean, you can cut those weeds down pretty short, but what are they going to do? They're just going to grow right back up because the problem is not so much the weed that you see, it is the root that you don't see. And my behavior, that's the weeds that you see, but the real problem are my desires that you don't see. And if I'm just trying to deal with my behavior and my actions and I ignore my desires, I will make little or no progress. If there's going to be any real change in my actions, it must begin with changes in my desires. So let's see how we can change our desires so that they will be more Christ-honoring. When we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8, the nation of Israel desires something that is contrary to God's will. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Israelites are going to ask God for something that they knew was wrong. Have you ever done that? In God's reply to their request, and really it was more of a demand, we're going to learn how our desires get corrupted. And so we're going to learn those things, and then we're going to make a beeline to Jesus. So hang with me. If you're looking for that, that's where we will land. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, let's begin reading in verse 4. He says, so all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they went to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. So there's the demand. We want a king like all the nations. All the surrounding nations have kings. We want a king. Now, to this point, they were simply led by the Lord and by 
judges that would come and speak on behalf of the Lord. Verse 6 says, when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong, and so he prayed to the Lord. Now, there's a little lesson we can learn there. When, when somebody confronts you with something that you think is wrong, when there is some uh, engagement that you're in and, and you think somebody's wrong, what's the first thing we should do? We should go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. That's what Samuel did. Look at verse 7. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. Listen, church, we need to be careful that we don't ever look to a person to give us security or peace or hope. And the Israelites were guilty of that. They thought that security, peace, and hope would come through a, through a king. We should never look to a person for that. You shouldn't look to your spouse for your security, your peace, and your hope. We should never look to a political leader for security, peace, and hope. You should never look to a pastor for security, peace, and hope. We should only look to the Lord. Look at verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. Listen to them. These are the words of God still. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. So uh, God says to Samuel, this is wrong. Uh, but if this is what they demand, then this is what we'll do. But I want you to warn them, and I want you to tell them what the consequences are going to be if they go down this path. And I want you to, I want you to see this. Verse 10, Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to his use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifty, to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, or to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When the day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord won't answer you on that day. So... Starts from the Lord to Samuel, Samuel to the people. He warns them all of these consequences that are going to come. And they do come uh, because they have demanded a king for themselves. They got to an important phrase in verse 18. Uh, middle of the verse, for the king you've chosen for yourselves. Now look at verse 19. Well, don't look at verse 19. What would you expect the people to do? If you were about to do something and a prophet of God brought a message from the Lord that said, if you do this, you're going to regret this, what would you do? What would you do? Well, look what they did. Now let's look at 19. 
The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations, and our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. So they tell you why they wanted a king. Verse 21, Samuel listened to all the people's words, and then he repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them. The Lord said to Samuel, appoint a king for them. And then Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you, go back to your city. Uh, this really sets up everything we're going to study in the rest of 1 Samuel and, and 2 Samuel. We hope to stay in these uh, two books for a number of weeks and, and see all that God has here for us. But what I want to do today is to look back now at 1 Samuel chapter 8 and learn why the Israelites wanted what was wrong. Do you see this? It was their desire that led to these consequences. Just like for me and you, it's often our desires when we want what's wrong that leads to consequences in our lives. I tell you, this will be a simple message. I'm not going to say anything that will surprise you. And the reason that is, is this is just... This is just the plain truth of God's word, but it is so important because without this, our desires will be corrupted and the consequences will be, will be great. You know, when our desires are corrupted, there is no limit to our sinful actions. Think about that a moment. Sometimes I see people do things that just, those things just make me shudder. And I think I would never do that. Well, when your desires become corrupted, there is no limit to what you will do, right? Because your actions just simply follow from your desires. And when your desires become corrupted, you cannot change your actions. You, your actions will ultimately line up with your desires. We need to know how their desires went wrong and how ours can go wrong as well. So let me share with you three things. Number one, they had corrupt desires because they were forgetful of the past. Now the, pe the people wanted a king to lead them instead of being solely led uh, by God's leadership uh, they said, if you look back at verse 20, that they wanted a king who would fight their battles for them. Give us a king. He'll go before us and he will fight our battles. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, let's just look and see what their history tells them. If you just go back one page in your Bible, and we focused on this last week, and you look at 1 Samuel chapter 7, you can see some of what the Lord has done. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 says, The Israelites said to Samuel, Don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, so that he will save us from the Philistines. Now, why were they asking God to save them from the Philistines? Because when they battled the Philistines, they lost. And so they're crying out, 
Please, Samuel, ask God to save us from the Philistines. And then verse 10, the Philistines approached to fight against Israel, but the Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. So they're demanding a king to lead them in the battle and give them victory instead of the Lord. But what's the Lord's track record here? Well, just one page earlier, they leaned upon the Lord and the Lord gave them victory. See, they are forgetting the past. They wouldn't be asking for a a king, an earthly king, to lead them to victory if they just looked back over their shoulder or flipped back through their calendar to see that God had already led them to victory over their enemies. And then you can even see it here in 1 Samuel 8. There is a hint to this. Right there in the verses that we read, look at verse 8. It says, these are the words of God to Samuel. They, the Israelites, are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day. What God says is, they're doing the same thing they've been doing to me despite the fact that I have brought them all of these victories. I rescued them from Egypt, the strongest nation on the planet at the time. And and I, I drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Have they forgotten that? And then I brought them through the desert into the promised land. They came up against the city of Jericho. It was a hopeless battle, but I tore down the walls and I gave them victory. And so what he says here is, I have been faithful to bring victory to the Israelites over and over and over. How foolish it is now for them to stand up and say, we need a king to bring us to victory. Now, why would they say that? Because they failed to remember the past. The same thing, church, happens in our lives when we fail to remember the past. When we fail to remember how God has blessed us in the past, it'll cause our desires to be corrupted in the future. When we forget that God has blessed us in the past, then we will rely too much on ourselves and our own resources instead of relying upon the Lord. If we forget how in the past God has taken care of us, in the past we have called out to God and he has answered. When we forget that in the past God has sustained us, when we forget that, then we'll rely on our own strength, our desires will be corrupted. When we forget that the Lord has blessed us in the past, we'll chase after the wrong things in pursuit of joy, peace. How many times do do believers go astray? They're chasing after joy and peace, and they, they end up on a bad path. And why are they there? Why do they desire those sinful things? Well, they've forgotten how God has provided joy and peace in the past. If they would just look to the past and and remember the times that God has just filled their life with joy and filled their life with peace, sometimes in the most difficult hour they've had the peace of the Lord. If we could just remember to the past, it would protect our desires in the future. And when we forget God's blessings in the past, we will fail to live lives that honor the Lord and his grace and his mercy. You know, sometimes we just need to remember that we were lost in our sin, that we were hopeless apart from Christ, that there was nothing we could do to ever overcome the debt that we owed, 
There was nothing we could ever do to escape our eternal destruction that was due us because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and shed his blood for us to forgive our sins freely, not put us on a payment plan, not give us just a second chance, but to fully forgive us. Why would a holy God pay such a great price to forgive such sinful people? But when we remember the past, that'll help us to have more godly desires in the, in the future. If we're going to have these godly desires, we need to rehearse. We need to remember the past and what God has done for us. As I said at the beginning of the message, my, my mom did pass away last Sunday night. And uh, her funeral was on Thursday. And I spoke at her funeral. I wasn't sure I could do that. I didn't decide until maybe 24 hours before that I would do that. Um, wasn't sure I would be back here today uh, to do this. Uh, but as I was preparing to speak at my mom's funeral... I, uh, I spent some time just thinking about all of the ways that she showed rare and extraordinary love to me and to my sister in years past. And I won't share those stories today. This is uh, not a message about me or my mom. But as I rehearsed those things in my mind, it just lifted me away from all of the stress with the cancer and the COVID and all the things that had gone on. I had gone to see my mom the previous week. I couldn't see her because of the COVID rules at the hospital. And then I drive all the way back just in time to miss her passing. And there were a lot of frustrations that weren't anybody's fault. But, but when I began to remember my mom's extraordinary and rare love for me and my sister, it just changed me. Does that make sense? And if we want to have desires that honor God, we need to remember and rehearse all the ways that God has blessed us in the past. How did the nation of Israel go wrong when they demanded this king? When they demanded this that God said, was essentially them abandoning the Lord, they ended up here because they forgot the past. But there's another reason they ended up here. Not only were they forgetful about the past, but they were impatient in the present. Now, those of you who are Bible scholars, or I know what you're thinking right now. Uh, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say that God was going to give a king to Israel? Didn't we read that in the first hundred pages of the Bible? Well, you did. In a number of places, I'll share a couple of them with you. Genesis 35, 11, God said to Israel, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. An assembly of nations will come from you and kings will descend from you. So God himself said that they would have a king. He said it again in Deuteronomy 17, 15. You are to appoint a king over you that the Lord your God chooses. So God said they were going to have a king. So why now is it wrong for them to demand a king? The problem wasn't 
that they demanded a king. The problem is that they demanded a king now. Now. That was their demand. Not just that God would give them a king. God was going to give them a king, but that God would give them a king right then. Now, I'll give you a little bit of history. So they get a king. We'll follow this history in the next few weeks. The king's name was Saul. Tell me, was that a a good thing or a bad thing? It was a terrible thing. Saul was a terrible king. He brought the nation to terrible places. All kind of bad stuff happened. Why? Not because they had asked for a king, but because they had asked for a king now. Then after Saul, God gave another king. This was God's king. Who was that? It was David. Now David was a flawed leader, and we're going to look at that over the next few weeks and months. But David was the king that God used to bring a revival to the land. David was the king that God used to bring peace and prosperity to the nation. All the people had to do was to wait a few years and God was going to give them a king and it would have been God's king. And even some of the bad things that we see in David's life, many of those things most likely would have been avoided had the nation and David not had to go through the the reign of Saul. So the problem here was not strictly the demand for a king, but it was the demand for a king right now. Now, Christians, faithful Christians know that we shouldn't say no to God, right? I don't need to preach that message. You know that. You shouldn't say no to God. We baptized in both services today. God commands us to be baptized. If you've never been baptized following the time you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are commanded to be baptized. Don't say no. God commands us to give, to give cheerfully and to give sacrificially and to give regularly to the work of the Lord. Don't tell God no. God tells us to honor our parents. No matter how old we may be, we are to honor our parents. Don't tell God no. God tells us to be faithful in marriage. Don't tell God no. But here's what I want you to learn today. Demanding now is just as much rebellion and disobedience as saying no. Listen to that. Telling God now is just as disobedient as telling God no. I can give a number of examples, but you can think of examples. I think about intimacy before marriage. It seems today that everybody is moving in with everybody. That's telling God now. I think about uh, the temptation we all face to spend money before we have it, right? That's telling God, I need something. I want something. And I'm not going to wait until you prosper me. I'm going to do it now. We fail to wait on the Lord to answer prayer. Psalm 27 says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous and wait for the Lord. So pray and ask God. And then wait on God. We fail to wait for God to promote us. 
But 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you at the proper time. Just, just humble yourself before God. He'll bring the exaltation, the promotion, the whatever you're looking for at the time that's best for his glory, for his honor. Wait on the Lord. We don't wait on the Lord to defend us. But Proverbs 20, 22 says, don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord. Let him rescue you. You know, there are just some times when we're in a bad spot and, and, and we're being accused or we're being injured in some way that we just need to wait on the Lord. Not some physical injury, but, but we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on the Lord to show himself faithful. Proverbs, I'm so, sorry, Psalm thirty-three twenty says, We wait for the Lord because he is our help and our shield. We need to learn to wait. Not only did they not look to the past, but they were impatient in the future. They said, I mean, in the present, they said now. You know, the Bible is filled with ways that God has tried to teach his people to wait on him. I'll give you just a few of them. First is the Sabbath principle. So God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but because he was teaching us something. We need to rest on the seventh day. Now, why was that so hard? And what was the purpose in God doing that? God is trying to teach you to depend upon God and not on yourself. God wants you to take, and here's how to learn how to depend upon God. God wants you to take one whole day and just not go to work, not do those things that are necessary to take care of your family financially. And now that's hard to do because you got to take care of things. To take off a day, that requires you to learn what? To wait upon the Lord. That's the whole point of the Sabbath, to teach people to wait upon the Lord. I think about when the Israelites were in the desert and there was no food to eat. And God rained down bread from heaven, manna from heaven. Now, what did the people do? I'd have done the same thing. So would you. They were hungry. Bread came down from heaven. So they went out and got all the bread they could get. They were going to get enough bread for the next month. And what did God do? God ruined the bread. He said, no, I'm going to give you some every day. The day before the Sabbath, they could collect enough for two days. But I'm, you're going to have to wait on me every morning. You can't hoard it up. You can't have it stockpile. It's not that God was short of manna and he was trying to conserve. God was trying to teach them to wait upon the Lord. I think about what uh, Jesus said when he was teaching us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He said, pray, give us today our daily bread. There's a whole message there, but, but the important part of that is we're to wait upon the Lord. Our desires are corrupted. The Israelites, their desires were corrupted. Not only when they were forgetful about the past, but when they were impatient about the present. Now, one more thing, they were blind to the future. So the Lord clearly describes the hardships and difficulties, the consequences that would come. We saw that, uh, verses 11 through 17. I read all of those verses because I didn't want it to be lost on you. God told them, 
the consequences. Uh, then in verse 18, the Lord said that they would regret their decision. You're going to regret it. You're going to call out to me. It's interesting in verse 18, it says, you will call out to me, but I will not answer you. What is God saying? There are consequences. This is a whole other sermon, but listen, it's not in my notes, but this is important. It's free. There are consequences to actions that are not erased by the forgiveness of God. Does that make sense? There are certain things that you do. If you do them, these are the consequences. And when it says God will not answer you, it's not saying God will not hear them. It's God saying, I'm not going to intervene in the consequences. I'm not going to intervene in the consequences. I remember years ago uh, when I was uh, a youth minister, I think this was in Mississippi uh, in the 1920s, I think. And um, we had a young, a young girl uh, come and uh, meet with me, and she said that uh, she feared that she was pregnant. And so with the help of a lady there in our church, she was scared to death to talk to her mom. And you know, we were going to get to that. We were always committed to bringing the parents in. Uh, but to give us some insight, to give her some insight on what would be the next steps, uh, this, uh, this woman who was helping me help this uh, young lady uh, suggested that uh, we provide her a pregnancy test. And so they did that, and uh, she was pregnant. And so, of course, she's very upset, very upset. And uh, the three of us are sitting there and talking. And then I, I talked to her about forgiveness, the forgiveness of God that's available. And she just was crushed with condemnation and shame. And so I'm, I'm talking to her about forgiveness. And finally, it clicks that she can be completely forgiven. And so she prays and I pray and the lady that was helping us pray. And then her countenance completely changed. It changed more than it should have changed, okay? She was happy then. And as it turned out, she misunderstood. She, uh, she thought that, and I know this doesn't make sense, but when you're in this emotional state, I guess you can think a lot of things. She thought that now that she was forgiven, she was no longer pregnant. And we could just forego the next steps. And she was crushed when... Actually, I didn't do it. The lady with us uh, helped her understand. Uh, no, the consequences, the pregnancy, you're still pregnant. Forgiveness, but consequences. Now, so here it says God will not listen to you. God will listen, but God is not going to remove the consequences. So the people said that they wanted a king, and God told them that they would regret it. And they did it anyway. Now, what was their sin here? How did they make such a convoluted decision? Their desires were corrupted because now they're not looking to the future. They're not looking to the future consequences. You see, your desires can be corrupted if you don't recognize how God's blessed in the past. Your desires will be corrupted if you don't understand what it means to be patient and wait on the Lord today. But your desires will also be corrupted if you don't take into account the future. If you're blind to the future, your desires will be corrupted. You know, God's laws and God's warnings are very different. And I know we have a lot of uh, law enforcement people here and a lot of parents. So I don't mean to uh, uh, um, bring the wrath of either groups of people 
But listen, there's a difference between God's laws and warnings and traffic laws or your parents telling you to wear your seatbelt. You see the difference? Do you know the difference? Okay, if, if the speed limit says 55 miles an hour, and that is the safe speed for you to travel, if you exceed that speed limit, could bad things happen? Is it putting your safety in danger? Yes. But you'll probably get away with it, right? I mean, it's a warning that generally doesn't come true, right? If your mom tells you, you better wear your seatbelt or you could be terribly injured in your car. Is that true? Yes. But it probably won't happen. Now I'm all for obeying the speed limit uh, and I'm all for wearing uh, your seatbelt. But, but I want you to see there's a difference. There's a qualitative difference. When, when the law enforcement people say you must drive this safe speed or your mom says you have to wear a seatbelt or there'll be consequences, well, there might be consequences, but there might not be consequences. In fact, there probably won't be consequences. Some of you have lived long enough that you remember when there weren't seatbelts in the car and you're here today, right? So there weren't consequences, perhaps. Okay, all for speed limits and seatbelts. <laughs> Don't write me a letter. But here's the difference. When God warns us and when God says these are the consequences, those are the consequences. Those are the consequences. And if we choose to be ignorant of the future, if we ignore the promised consequences of God, well, our desires will be corrupted and will lead us down a wrong path. You know why I think the nation of Israel heard that long, I mean, it's a long passage, 10, 10 through 18. They heard that long list, and I bet Samuel preached it hard. When they heard that long list of consequences, and then they said, no problem, we want to do it anyway. You know why I think they did it? Because they thought they were the exception. I know bad things happen, but not to me. I know that people suffer consequences, but not me. And they thought that somehow, and I'm speculating here, but they thought that somehow they'd be the exception. They were not, as we'll see over the next few weeks. And I think the reason why we so often today just ignore the consequences, we're blind to the future, is we think we are the exception. But we're not the exception. If you get out here on North Street and you travel south, and you continue to travel south, you know what the consequences of that will be? You'll end up in Lufkin. Nobody wants that, right? <laughs> We actually have several families from Lufkin that drive to church every Sunday. We're glad you're here. <laughs> and we know you don't want to go home. But if you travel south on North Street, eventually you'll end up in Lufkin. Well, what if your car is red? How does that change things? You'll end up in Lufkin. What if you're a Christian? How does that change things? You'll end up in Lufkin. What if you have godly parents? You'll still end up in Lufkin. What if you pray and ask God to keep you away from Lufkin? 
you'll still end up in Lufkin. <laughs> you are not the exception. And church, if you let sexuality get outside the confines of marriage, your life will burn down. You're not the exception. If you spend more money than you make, you don't have a budget, you borrow more money than you save, you're going to face regrets. You're not the exception. If anger controls you, you're going to forfeit your relationships. If you're stingy with money and you're not generous with the poor, you're going to end up poor in happiness and joy. If you ignore the instructions of God, you're going to experience great regret. You are not the exception. What we need to do is to remember the, the deceptive principle of sin. You've probably heard this before. It, 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 pastors have been saying this for uh, generations. Uh, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. Israel's refusal to acknowledge the future ruined their desires. One of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs is 27:12. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. Foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So the nation of Israel, right here, 1 Samuel 8, they choose something because their desires are corrupted. They are forgetful of the past, impatient in the present, blind to the future. You and I, we are subject to our desires, which can be corrupted if we forget the past, impatient in the present, blind to the future. But I want to show you one more thing here before we close this up. Uh, I told you that we would end with Christ. And one of the things I love about studying First and Second Samuel, and I've never preached through First and Second Samuel, uh, so I, I'm, I'm sort of figuring this out as I go through, and, and this is the most exciting part of preaching this. Uh, but every chapter points to Christ. And I want you to see this, because this is not all, it's hopeless because you've made the mistakes that the Israelites have made. Let me, let me show you Christ in this. If you were to go back to the last book before 1 Samuel, now in your Bible it's the book of Ruth, uh, but historically what happened before 1 Samuel begun, began was Judges. And the last verse of Judges says this, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Now there was no king in Israel and there was no leadership in Israel, but the people still recognized that they needed a leader. Sin was running rampant. Government organizations were falling apart. The the religious organization, which at the time was the tabernacle, we've already seen the leadership was crumbling. The, the infrastructure was crumbling. There was all kind of sin. Things were falling apart. And the people recognized they needed a king. Now, they didn't know exactly what the king needed to do. They just knew they needed a king that could put them on the right path and that could free them from sin and give them victory. So they bring in Saul. 
That's what this is about. We'll see Saul in the next weeks. They bring in Saul. And Saul's terrible reign illustrates that he was not the answer. He was not the answer. There is another king that's needed. Well, then David comes along. And David is God's man. And David does bring, as I said, a revival to the land and and peace and prosperity and security. But David didn't deal with sin. David didn't bring forgiveness. And David illustrated to the people that he was not the one. See, they knew they needed a king. Saul wasn't the king that they needed. David ultimately was not the king that they needed. But that was a foreshadow of the promise of God to bring the king, the true king, Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes, and he's a king, not in the way that they were looking for a king. Jesus, so much greater than that, Jesus comes and he provides because of his power, because of his righteousness, because of his position. He comes, dies on the cross for our sins, and he provides the solution to sin, to guilt, to our broken relationship with God. As we go through First and Second Samuel and we see all of the royal mess, that's what we're calling this series, a royal mess. We're going to see all of these faulty, faulty leaders, but all of their faults points to our need for a true king, and that king is Jesus Christ. You could look at the lessons of 1 Samuel 8, and it could just drive you to despair, except for the true king. Jesus, who offers forgiveness to us. If today you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, today do that. If you are are a child of God walking with Christ and you've been reminded of your failures as we've gone through 1 Samuel 8, today go to Christ for, for full forgiveness, for the experience of forgiveness in your life. Now let's do this. Head bowed, eyes closed in both services. I'm going to pray in a moment, and we're going to stand in both services. And there are going to be some ministers at the front in both services. And if you would like somebody to help you, to pray with you, to encourage you, I want you to step out when we sing and come to one of these ministers at the front. These ministers will remain here when the service concludes, and you can come and see them then as well. Father in heaven, Thank you for the true king. Thank you for Jesus. Father, may we find our way to the Savior. May we find our way to the true king for the forgiveness and for the true peace and security that we need. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.